Hey, good morning. How do I follow that? Except that as I get started with this marvelous opportunity to encourage one another, can we just thank our God that there's healing in this house this morning? As we were worshiping, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, but folks, he's also known as Abba. And every great attribute of a mother or father is first found in our Father God. And some of you need to hear that message. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. He's the sovereign. He's the King of kings. And he's delighted to call us sisters and brothers. And there are people here, you are still wrestling with the consequences of rejection, abuse, serious issues in your history. And the Lord wants you to know he is this Holy Spirit of hope today. And Jesus even knows what it's like to have unanswered questions as he bore our sins and sorrows. He also bore all of our unanswered questions on the cross. And then we have the sovereign spirit of God living in these jars of clay. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Would you join with me as we offer this communication to him? Our loving Lord, we thank you that we can declare you are the Father Almighty and you love us as Abba. We confess you, Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords, and you are the firstborn among brothers and sisters. Thank you. You call us your friends. And Sovereign Spirit, we give you permission to comfort and convict, to purify and transform, to take words that I've prepared and go beyond them. And long after I am forgotten, Lord, may your word remain that we would be more like you. And God, we go beyond ourselves. We lift up the sister or brother right next to us that we held hands with. And we ask, oh God, reach into their hearts and minds today and bring a word of encouragement, a word of challenge and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a real honor, President Hagan, and thank you for, and Dr. Graham, thank you for letting me be part of this. I want to give honor to Micaiah Martin for her organizational skills. Yeah, she's amazing. And I get to follow in the footsteps of some amazing predecessors, many of whom are friends and colleagues. The foundations of this community are solid. There's a history of fidelity and innovation, of local and global impact. But the future is even more exciting as we welcome heaven to earth and are radically dependent on God's favor. So in my three addresses this fall, we're going to share the theme of transformational discipleship. As I travel the nation in, what in, in the honorable roles I get to fulfill, we still have a crisis of what it means to make healthy disciples. And so I want to share three movements in a symphony and then today give the first fruits of a vision of what it looks like to walk in this transformation. We're going to root everything in Scripture. Aren't you glad we have an amazing Bible? An amazing narrative of the way things ought to be as God designed them. An amazing narrative of how they are because of our sin. 
an amazing story of what can be in Jesus Christ. Are you grateful for that? And folks, it's going to get even better. What will be is amazing. What started in a garden with two people is going to end with multitudes in a new city. Praise his holy name. We're going to root what we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, help me out, apart from me you can do. We say that and confess John 15, and then we go and live in our own power sometimes, don't we? Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit's help. That doesn't mean that he bypasses our brains and our bodies. It means he changes every part of us to, to be used for his service. And then we want to discover what pleases the Lord. We want to have application of truth. And so as we share, please be interactive with me as we pray through God's word, as we enjoy his grace and goodness together. I want to share this morning just a new vision of discipleship. And there's three addresses, three keynotes I'm going to give in chapel. The first one this morning is on discipleship. The second one will be on peacemaking. Are you aware we just have a few problems of gender, culture, race, and economics in our world? Anybody else aware of that? Or by, by the way, you don't live in a bubble here. I've walked the streets. There's no bubble, praise be to God. But we live in a polarized world, and Jesus called us to be peacemakers. So this morning, we're going to look at discipleship. When I, when I come next, we're going to look at peacemaking in a polarized world. And then my third time, we're going to look at apologetics for the 21st century. We live in a post-truth world. And I believe God wants to restore critical thinking without a critical spirit. I believe he wants to restore how to think deeply about unchanging truth and yet creatively about presenting it through our lives and the transformation of culture. Are you with me so far? Are you ready to believe that we can break through and not break down? Praise his holy name. And so I'm excited to share this with you. Let's just jump in to a new vision of discipleship. You know, there are times we just need clarity in our lives. I sat with a business friend about 25 years ago. Now, you've never had this experience, but have you ever just sat down and said, I'm kind of frustrated? If you, if you haven't had that, good. If you have, join with me. His name was Kelly, and I just said, Kelly, I've, I've been in ministry now a long time, and I see some fruit, but I'm, I'm frustrated. We have more information, but less transformation. How do we change that? And good friend that he was, he said, what did Jesus say was most important? And I said, well, he said that the most important commandment of all, help me out, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and the second commandment that joins with it is to love your neighbor as, on this hang all the law and the prophets. And in that moment, we began together to put on paper, what does that actually mean in life? Not conceptually, but concretely. And suddenly the scripture burst open afresh. Suddenly this beautiful grand narrative became alive because Genesis to Revelation is God's overflowing love for us. As Rabbi Abraham Heschel says, the entire story of the Bible is God's search for man. And his great love for us. Well, how do we make this concrete? How do we make this practical? 
You know, we have a global crisis in discipleship. It's not just the um, an American problem. Here in America, we can turn any truth into a seminar. We, you know, we have tables full of food, and yet we eat the crumbs. There was a chef from Britain that came to West Virginia a few years ago to try to help abate the heart disease that was killing that town. He worked with the pastor, tried to change the cafeteria menu, tried to help people eat healthy. He took one family and he showed them how to prepare spaghetti and a salad. And one week later, all the food had rotted and pizza boxes were stacked up. It took a diagnosis of imminent death for their son to change the course of their habits. He showed children in a kitchen how to prepare chicken, how to roast a chicken and prepare vegetables and eat good food. And then he took the carcass and ground it up and made nuggets. And they'd rather have the nuggets of the carcass than fresh chicken. Don't ever mistake data for knowledge. Don't ever mistake volume of information for integrity. All around the world, we have a gap between the ecstasies of Sunday morning and the ethics of Monday. And God wants to give us tools and resources and understanding so we can heal and bridge this gap. There are three healthy things that I want to address this morning. I believe God wants us to have healthy disciples. Can you say amen? amen? And disciples and pastors and leaders. Secondly, would you agree he wants us to have healthy and flourishing churches? Is that okay? And how about healthy and flourishing communities? You know, saints, it's been 200 years since we've had an awakening in this country that overflowed to the transformation of our culture. What do you say we lay a foundation for that in prayer today? What do you say we conspire today to connect healthy disciples and pastors, healthy churches, and healthy communities? They are together in the Word of God, and they can be together again in our practice. So let me share with you what flourishing disciples look like. Five dimensions of a flourishing disciple. Five things that I want you to consider, and, and I hope you jot these down. I hope you'll give me feedback and tell me how we can improve them. But the first thing about a healthy disciple is that the, he or she loves God with all their being, cultivating intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call this spiritual formation. Have you heard that we ought to pray and fast? Are you okay with that? Uh, folks, those are the means to the end, not the end in themselves. I joked with uh, Professor Sikorsky this morning, uh, Professor Adam in his class, that um, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this, uh, President Hagen, but uh, he was so generous. He offered me a full weekend at Pebble Beach, all expenses paid. And he offered my wife and I three days, two nights. By the way, I will get punished for lying here, but you get my point. And, of course, I told him, no, I've been married 37 years. I don't need more time with Kathy. <laughs> um, folks, every day the sovereign of the universe invites us to listen to him and talk to him, and we treat it like a duty. We have a 66-chapter love letter, and we treat it like a duty. He occasionally asks us to go without some food, and we treat it like a duty to learn how to be alone and with God's people. I remember the first year I was saved, 1974. I was a young adult, sophomore in high school. I went to all five Easter services. 
And by the way, you've not had Easter unless you sing Christ the Lord is risen today. I could not get enough of his presence. And by the way, I couldn't tell enough people about him. I was almost obnoxious, except I'd actually led several people to Christ until I got religious. If we love God, that's, that's absolutely where it begins. The second dimension is that we need to be personally whole. The Bible assumes that we're going to take care of ourselves, that we're not going to hate ourselves. But Peter Scazzaro, God bless him, in the last 15 years has helped us realize you cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. You cannot be spiritually mature and relationally immature. We need to be whole emotionally. How many of you know that's part of the Holy Spirit's work? Can I just share a fun story with you about this? My, uh, my wife and I met on a choir tour in Europe. I just barely made the cut because I don't sing well. But I noticed her because she was the only one that spoke French. And everybody dragged her to interpret the menu and where the bathrooms were. A few months later, I asked her out. And in that first little cup of coffee, I asked her a question. And she didn't answer. I waited five minutes for an answer. And then she looked at me and said, you actually want to know what I think, don't you? I said, yes, I do. And she poured out her answer that was brilliant. 37 years, actually 40 years later now, she's still pouring out answers. But she told me, at that moment, I fell in love with you because you dignified me by waiting for my answer. My family didn't do that. And at that moment, God did something in her to help her become emotionally whole. By the way, God did something in me and continues to do things in me. Number one, do we love God? Number two, are we becoming whole from his presence? Number three, do we have healthy relationships? If we're going to be good disciples, all those one another's need to come into focus. Are we healthy toward our sisters and brothers? Are there not only right boundaries and avoiding toxic things, but positively, do we love deeply without regard for return? And by the way, when we talk about this, in practice, it means are we forgiving? Are we managing those emotions? Are we managing our sexuality in a biblical manner? Oh, by the way, now that I've got all your attention with that last sentence, the, Bible's, the Bible standards aren't fuzzy. And I want to give you a sentence that's going to help you with our confused world. What God says about our behavior is clear. The reasons people feel the way they do are complex. So when someone is wrestling with attractions and someone's wrestling with identity, they are made in the image of God and deserve our love and respect. But if they want to be a follower of Jesus, while they wrestle, he's made it very clear how we're to live to please him and be healthy. Interesting navigation, isn't it? He wants us healthy. Number four, he wants us to know our purpose in life, to know our callings and our gifts. We use words like vocation. It's a fancy word for knowing what God has to say. But number five, it may surprise you, all of this great discipleship takes place where we work all day. And that's the fifth dimension. 
He wants our work life to be worship to him. He wants us caring for his world and adding wealth to his world. He wants us caring for the marginalized and stewarding our assets well. A healthy disciple. In fact, President Hagen's former children's pastor said it better than I can. I always like quoting people that are smarter. He said, I know what to tell my kids. I feel close to Jesus. I feel good about myself. I'm getting along with my family and friends. I know what I'm good at, and I'm doing my chores and schoolwork for Jesus today. If I could get every adult in the body of Christ in America to do that, we'd call it awakening. <laughs> Healthy disciple. What? Pastors, lead spiritual leaders, and not all of you have those titles, but those of you that God has anointed for spiritual leadership. Building on this, building on this, he wants you to know that you can be a flourishing pastor as well. Psalm 78 says that David led them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. So if we're going to, if we're going to really understand discipleship, we need to think about the outcomes, these five areas of our lives. And then for pastors, we need to lead with integrity of heart and skillful hands building something that lasts beyond ourself, being agents of renewal. Whether you're in a house church or a cathedral, whether you're a giga complex or whether you're an underground church, we can make healthy disciples. All of you called to spiritual leadership, I urge you to commit today to fostering healthy disciples. What does it mean to have a flourishing church? Can't cover it all, but let me share four dimensions of healthy churches. Just four. We'll, we'll, we'll landscape this in the coming time. First of all, we are gathered in worship services that lead toward worship in all of life. You know, we argue over carpet color, music color, fog machines, lighting, and Satan's perfectly happy to have us divide over personal preferences. My preferences aren't God's principles. Are our worship services honoring the one who called us, and are they resulting in a commissioning to change the world? Secondly, a healthy church disciples people to connect Sunday and Monday. In 1987, we went through a serious moment of spiritual abuse in the East Coast and limped back to California with two babies and six dollars in our checking account. But I was promised three classes to teach in the Redwoods and a church on the beach. Okay, God, you're, you're rebuilding things. The week I arrived, they decertified the church and canceled two classes. I had two babies. I had a wife living with my parents my father handed my wife a book, said how to be a widow in case he drops dead of a heart attack. My stepmother criticized my wife for having the kids at home and not putting them in daycare from age three days. At 5 a.m., I, I pumped gas. At 10 a.m., I sold stationery. Three nights a week, I taught in three Bible colleges, and on Sundays, I served the church, and all my well-meaning clergy friends were praying me back into the ministry. And in that year, I ended the words full-time ministry. You were full-time when you came to Jesus. He may assign you to be a pastor, evangelist, and missionary, and you better take that call seriously. 
but he also may assign you to be an engineer, a laborer, a teacher, a nurse, a medical practitioner, an entrepreneur, or a laborer. Take it seriously. You're full-time for Jesus. Oh, by the way, the district still took my dues, too. I take very seriously my ordination. I take very seriously my call to serve. But something broke positively forever that year. And I want to honor every major here. I want to honor every person and personality here. May you serve him in worship, in witness, in every good work. Number three, we need pastoral practices that help leaders visit people in the work site and look to the transformation of the community. And number four, we need to reproduce outreach and mission that touches every part of society. Healthy, dis help me out. I want you to say flourishing disciples help create flourishing churches and the result is flourishing communities. Disciples, churches, communities connected together. What does, a, what does a church do for the community? How about a commissioning service for people that are starting businesses? How about a commissioning service for people that are volunteering outside the church? How about honoring those in the arts and culture that want to bring a new voice and a new sound? By the way, are, are these slides cool today or what? They're all my wife's work. My wife's a professional artist. Those of you old enough to remember where church used to be, I lost three jobs as a pastor when they said, Sister Self, are you excited about serving with your husband and playing the piano and doing children's ministry? And my dear wife said, I'm excited about lending all my talents, but I dance and I paint. I lost some jobs and gained a wife. Yeah, yeah. I can't detail in, in three or four minutes what a flourishing community looks like, but I can share a couple of insights as we prepare to pray. And this morning is a breakthrough morning, not because of what I've said, but because he's here that we would not be the same as we leave. A healthy church is deploying and commissioning people for flourishing outside the walls. By the way, if we bless what people do outside, they'll have more margin to help us inside. There is no secular work. There's only whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. By the way, parenting's work. Now, you may not know this about me, but I did my academics and my theology in those fundamentalist bastions of Berkeley and Santa Cruz, California. You, so I'm a banana slug. That was our, that was our mascot. I'm not too proud of that, but it looked kind of cool. I have been in the center of every deconstruction, reconstruction, postmodern, post-postmodern, late modern movement you can imagine. And by the way, the gospel holds up just fine. I'm still on the radio in San Francisco talking to a quarter of a million people at a time a couple times a month, trying to bring perspective in a world God mad. Folks, what if we will bless 100% employment for the kingdom through the deployment of God's people, we will never lack for servants. 
We also need to be churches that serve the community with economic wisdom and outreach efforts. We need to pursue the common good, fostering cultural renewal and reconciliation. We should lead the way in providing the safest place. In fact, I expect in this chapel, I expect in this chapel that NCU will host forums of what Minneapolis 2020 and 2030 is going to look like because God wants Minneapolis St. Paul to be a praise on the earth for his glory. And whether people come to explicit faith right away or not, there's an overflow when we begin to deploy one another. And as I finish, I'm on my second closing, which tells you I'm a pastor. I believe in all of this. Help me out. Flourishing disciples, say it together. Flourishing disciples, flourishing churches, flourishing communities. There's a new normal that the Lord wants to lead us to. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's a new sociology. The glory of the church is a diverse group around a table where all are welcome. Imagine youth conventions and summer camps, Chi Alpha gatherings and chapels, where everyone assembled is commissioned for the Great Commission to live a life under the Great Commandment and honoring God in all that they do. That's a new normal that he is calling us to. And there's a coming awakening and let me share with you the next awakening, both for our nation and the world, is not one bonfire, but millions of brush fires. As every one of us receive revelation and every one of us are commissioned to do everything for his glory. Folks, today we put a stake in the ground in the Holy Spirit that we want to be a part of that awakening. You see, a little over, a little under 200 years ago, every denomination in America split over race and slavery. And not only was that a tragedy, but it split personal and social ethics. It made us get private in our religion and forget about the public good. And the last 50 years, God's healing this. He started a healing. We've got miles to go, don't we? But he started a healing. That life and work, and faith, and service are all part of his plan. Would you join me in prayer as we prepare to be commissioned to our next work? Father, in Jesus' name, go ahead and stand in his presence. If you want to lift your hands, you're welcome, but I'd ask you to at least open your palms because we're going to first ask to receive, and then we're going to ask to release. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you with empty hands that you can fill. We come to you radically dependent upon your spirit, asking you to anoint afresh, to fill us again. The Acts chapter 2 community was filled again in chapter 4. And, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would shake this place and fill us again. Lord, we're asking that you would help us to be healthy disciples, healthy leaders, that you would help us contribute to healthy local churches, for they are still your plan A, Lord. And then, Lord, you would help us build healthy communities in Jesus' name. Lord, we receive. We receive healing for the wounds and the hurts and the abuses and the rejections. We receive that down payment of healing for those areas of depression and anxiety. We, are, we agree again that you are breaking that in Jesus' name. 
Lord, we also now want to release and we offer back to you all of our natural and spiritual gifts, all of our abilities. They all come from you. We offer them to you. Lord, right now you're anointing for business. Right now you're anointing for cultural renewal. Right now you're anointing for missionary service, evangelistic impact, pastoral leadership, business acumen. You're anointing for the medical field, Lord. You're anointing for breakthroughs in science and genetics. You're anointing, Lord. Lord, for labor, for leadership. You're anointing for parenting and grandparenting. We, Lord, offer all to you, and we receive afresh. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. It's a new day, and we receive this new vision today of what it means to follow you. We pray this in the name of the Father, who is the Almighty and Abba, in the name of the Son, who is the Word made flesh, and our brother, firstborn from the dead, and the sovereign Spirit of God who lives in this jar of clay. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, go in his grace. God bless you.